Good morning, Calvary Satterton, and good morning, Calvary Quakertown. It's good to see you all on this beautiful summer morning. We're in a series that we're calling Summer of 2017, Get Busy Living. Not living to fulfill all of our needs and living to try to fulfill our pleasures, but living in ways that honor God and benefit other people. And one of the things that we've encouraged you all to do as you vacation, as you travel around, as you visit different places this summer, to send us a postcard back here. And eventually we'll put some of those postcards up on the boards in the back. And so we've collected a bunch of them. But uh, I encourage you, if you haven't gone away yet, or make a special trip. Now you've got an excuse. Go somewhere where they have really cool postcards. Send it back to us. The church will not subsidize your trip. But you can go and send us a postcard back. I did want to share with you uh, a couple of postcards that uh, have come in. Here's one from Pebble Beach. Greetings from Pebble Beach. In fact, I saw some selfies that were sent back as text from a Calvary family that is at the British Open. And the selfies were with a bunch of golfers at the British Open, which is underway right now. I'm not sure who's leading. Jordan was yesterday. Greetings from Pebble Beach. I think that that's still the old tree there. It must be an old postcard. And here's what I'm still trying to figure out. This one is from Greetings from Hell. And I find it interesting because the mission of Calvary is to try to keep people out of hell. But this family decided they would go to hell this summer. And so they sent back the greetings from hell postcard. Don't go to hell to send us a postcard. But you kind of see how that works. Well, last week we uh, looked at the word no. And here's what we said. God is not a God of deprivation. He's a God of abundance. But in order to experience the abundance of God... You've got to say no to lesser good so you have space to say yes to the greater good. So you've got to say no in order to say yes. And I have to tell you, you all attacked the no assignment with gusto. Let me tell you, I've gotten more emails about your no homework than I've ever gotten on a sermon before. I'm going to read you a couple of them. I, somehow I feel like something was lost in translation, however... Uh, but I should have expected it. So here's one. Charles, just wanted you to know, my husband completed his Sunday sermon homework within two hours of leaving church. We were on our July date at Yancey Restaurant, and I asked him if we could continue our monthly dates after the 626 program was over. He replied, no. <laughs> I was disappointed. Homework complete. Right, here's another one. Charles, just wanted to thank you for your message Sunday and how it inspired me to say no to my wife every time she asked me to do something. <laughs> Can you help me cook dinner? No. Can you vacuum the living room? No. Are you going to cut the lawn? No. I'm just doing my homework. If you have a problem, talk to Charles. <laughs> that was not the point of the homework, remember? It was kind of like saying no to lesser good, not the things you should be doing, so you say no to the greater good. Uh, well, anyway, that was last week. So all of you that enjoyed the no homework, uh, you're going to be a little disappointed today. And for those of you that struggled with the no, now today is your day. We're going to look at the opposite. We're going to look at the yes today. And the yes really reminds us of who God is. I'm not sure uh, you realize this, but the number one question in life is, is there a God? And the second question Sometimes even wrapped up with the first question is, if there's a God, what's he like? Is he a finger-wagging, stingy, crotchety, rule-keeping God? 
Or is he a gracious, loving, merciful, accepting God? That's the big question. Is there a God, and what kind of God is he? And see, a lot of people think, because of the no, that God's that finger-wagging, you know, crotchety, kind of say no all the time, make life miserable kind of God, when that's not true at all. What we've been saying is God is not a God of deprivation. He's a God of abundance. But in order to experience abundance, you have to say no in order to say yes. So I did a little thinking this past week, which is always dangerous. And I just thought a little bit through the Old Testament and came up with a few of the times where God says yes. So here's my short little list. Abraham and Sarah said, Lord, even though we're way past the age of childbearing, can we have a son? And God said, yes. The nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And they were being oppressed and exploited. And life was absolutely miserable. And he said, Lord, will you deliver us? And God said, yes. And then there were judges in the land of Israel. Because the people kept repeating that cycle of sin. And oppressors would come in from other countries. And they would say, God, will you deliver us? God, will you deliver us? God, will you deliver us? And over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges, God says, yes, 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 yes. And then you come to David. And David's life runs off the rails. More than any of our lives have. And David says, God, will you forgive me? And can I keep the throne? And God says, Yes. And David's son Solomon becomes king. And Solomon looks at, looks at the people of God and he says, man, I, there's no way I can lead this group of people. God, will you give me wisdom so I can lead them well? And God says, yes. And one day Isaiah catches a glimpse of God just in a fraction of his glory. And he's overwhelmed with his own sin. And he says, woe is me. My life's being undone. God, can you use, will you send somebody like me? And God says, yes. And Esther gets elevated to the throne and she's the queen. And Mordecai comes and says, hey, Esther, all the Jews are under the sentence of death. You need to go to the king and ask him to to give all the Jews a reprieve. And she says, but you don't understand. If I do that and the king doesn't accept me, it'll be my life. And all the Jews pray. And Esther and Mordecai pray. And they say, God, will you make the king favorable to the request? And Esther says to the king, will you give a reprieve to the Jews? And the king, as God leads, says, yes. You see, God is a yes God. He says yes to salvation. He says yes to, his, yes to his promises. He says yes to forgiveness, yes to using us, yes to partnering with us. God is a yes God. He's a God of abundance. He's not a God of deprivation and no. Well, you're thinking, well, maybe that's just Old Testament stuff. Well, one afternoon I uh, read through the Gospel of Luke. I didn't read through in great detail. I'm kind of breezing through, right? And I'm asking this question. Well, if God's ultimate yes is all summed up in Jesus. And so if Jesus is kind of the yes savior, how does Jesus do it saying yes? How does that work? So here's a short list. Just And again, I was going quickly. I missed a whole bunch. Here we go. Jesus, will you go on the mission of salvation knowing what it's going to cost you? Yes. Will you deliver people from bondage and demonization? Yes. Will you bring healing from illnesses? Yes. Will you forgive people's sins? Yes. 
Will you invite people to dinner even though they don't deserve it? And will you go to dinner with people who don't, don't deserve it? Yes. Are you the Messiah who is to come? Yes. Will you feed hungry people? Yes. Will you allow people to partner with you in, what, in your mission? Yes. Am I welcome to the great banquet? Yes. Can little children come and be with you and experience your presence? Yes. To a blind beggar, will you heal me? Yes. Are you the king of kings? Yes. Will you be my substitute and pay my debt? Yes. Will you guarantee that that debt was paid? Yes. You see, we've got a yes God. We've got a yes Savior. And we need to be a yes people if we're going to continue what God started and Jesus continued. And if that's our trajectory, we need to be a yes people too. But remember the context. you got to say no to second-rate good things in order to say yes to the really good things. So now that we've said no, now we need to say yes. And I thought a really good place would be to look at a couple, a couple few verses that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And you can read these the beginning of 2 Corinthians. Now let me give you a little thumbnail sketch of what's going on because you need to know this. The Apostle Paul had a dramatic life transformation when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says, Paul, I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you. I'm calling you in and I'm sending you out. That's always how God does it. And so he calls Paul in and sends him out. And Paul continues what Jesus started all around the Mediterranean Sea. And one of his favorite places was the city of Corinth. He spent a lot of time there. And he got to know the people pretty well. But he would leave and go to other places. Well, anyway, Paul had visited Corinth. He went away. And he wrote them a letter saying, hey, I'm going to be coming back soon. But then Paul had a change in plans. And he didn't make it back when he said he would. So the people in Corinth are kind of ticked, right? They liked having Paul around. So they said, oh, man, this wishy-washy uh, apostle named Paul, he says yes, but he means no. He says no, but he means yes. He's a fickle guy. Well, Paul writes 2 Corinthians to essentially say, hey, I'm not a yes-no kind of um, missionary. I'm a yes kind of missionary because my Savior's a yes Savior and my God's a yes God. I'm a yes kind of person. Well, then how do you put the no in the context of all that? And so here are the verses we're going to look at. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, um, among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But look at this. But in him, it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You see that? So Paul says, look, I'm not a yes, no kind of guy. Yeah, plans change, and the rest of the letter kind of explains why he changed his plans, and you need to check that out. There's a really good reason behind it. But Paul says, we've got a promise-making God. Did you see those verses? A promise-making God, and that promise-making God fulfills all of the promises in Christ. Did you see that? They're in Christ. So they're not fulfilled. God's promises are not yes because of our obedience. God's promises are not yes because we jump through all the religious and ritual hoops. God's promises are not yes because we do all the right things. God's promises are not yes to us 
because we're, we're nice people and we do all this. No, no, God's promises are yes in Jesus. That's why we often say the Bible has a point and a purpose. The point is Jesus and the purpose is to lead us to him because all God's promises are yes in Christ. Did you see that? They're not yes in things we do. They're yes in Jesus. Now, I read a couple of really interesting articles, and I'm going to kind of call on those for some of what I'm going to say today. If you look at verse 20, you'll notice that there are two yeses. Do you see that? Here, here are the two yeses of verse 20. Verse 20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by, the joy, but, uh, spoken by us to the glory of God. Do you see both yeses? Kind of hard to spot because the second one is not spelled Y-E-S. A little tricky one, right? So we're going to look at the two yeses. Here's the first yes. The first yes is, no matter how many promises God has made, they're all yes in Christ. All the prom- Now we've been singing and thinking about God's promises this morning, right? And I sure hope you think a lot about those promises too. And here's a question. How many promises does God make in the Bible? How many do you think? Okay, tell the person next to you how many promises you think are in the Bible. Go ahead. I hear somebody said nine. No, a little more than nine. Well, here, the real answer, the ultimate answer is a lot, a lot. (laughs) Now, here's why I say that. Depending on where you look and whom you're looking at, everybody gives a different number. So this past week, here's what I discovered. Some people say, basically in the Bible, God gives a little over 3,000 promises. Somebody else said, no, no, no. God gives basically 7,400-some promises. And somebody else said, no, 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 it's over 8,000 promises. So the answer is a lot of promises, all right? Some of it depends on how you're going to read the statements. Is the statement kind of a promise? You can sort that out on your own. But the point is, God makes promises, and all of his promises are yes in Jesus. They're not yes because of us. You know, sometimes we get onto that treadmill and we begin to think, okay, so God made these promises and I've got to measure up and I've got to do all this stuff. And then God says, yeah, no, no, no. The promises are yes in Jesus. That's the first yes. But then there's a second yes. Did you notice the second yes? The second yes isn't spelled Y-E-S. The second yes is spelled A-M-E-N. And some of you are saying, that's not yes. Oh, yes, it is. Now, amen is actually a transliterated word. Remember, right? We talked about that. It's not translated. If it was translated, it would probably be yes. But it's transliterated. Amin is a Hebrew word. So all they did was take the Hebrew word, get rid of the Hebrew letters, put it in the English letters, and they bring the amen into English. It's a Hebrew word. So see, you know Hebrew. Um, Now, here's what amen means. Amen means confirmation, affirmation, agreement, priority. That's what it means. Now, uh, sometimes you go to church, and some churches have what may be called an amen corner. Did you ever hear that? It's not a literal corner in the church auditorium. But the amen corner is where people say, amen, amen. Now, here's what's going on. They're really saying yes, aren't they? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Amen doesn't mean that. Amen is how you close a prayer. Amen is like 10-4, good buddy, right? When you're finished praying, you say amen over and out. No, no, no. Amen means yes. 
And so an amen corner was part of the auditorium. When the preacher says something that they really like, they say, amen. Or sometimes they say, yes, preach it, right? They're, they're saying, yes, I agree. I affirm that. I confirm that. I like that. That's what it means. Now, at Calvary Church, we don't have an amen corner. Because we function a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I didn't say we want one either. I just said we don't have one. At Calvary Church, our services function much more like a real highbrow, sophisticated auction. You ever see these auctions on TV, TV or maybe you go, when uh, you got to be careful to not make any movements because you may be bidding, right? And so at Calvary Church, somebody may say something, occasionally it may be me, maybe we sing it in a song, and if you really get excited at Calvary Church, maybe you do this, <laughs> right? Now, at the auction, you just paid $40,000 for that gross-looking picture, right? Or maybe, maybe you raise your eyebrow, a little nod, right? That, that's as much as the amen as we get, right? We get a little finger wave, right? We get a thumb up. We get an eyebrow wave. Maybe we get a smile, and that means yes, that means amen. But because we're sophisticated at the auction, we don't yell it out. We just sit there and make little movements, and we're not buying things. You're saying amen. You're agreeing. Um, that's what yes means. So here's the question. All of God's promises to us are yes in Jesus. Suppose you really want to live that out, which, which I hope you do, right? Suppose you say, you know what? Yeah, if all of God's promises are yes in Jesus, then I don't have to do all the stuff to get the promises. I just need to live in those promises. I need to know what the promises are, kind of reflect on the promises, cogitate on the promises, think about the promises, and live in light of the promise. That's what I need to do. I need to acquaint myself with the promises, live in the promises. And if you live in the promises, what will you be doing? You'll be saying yes back to God. That's our yes. God's yes is making the promise. He sends Jesus, and all those promises are yes in him. Well, what's our yes? Our yes is saying back when we live in the promises. Not living in what we think. Not living in how we're putting life together. Living in the promises that God gives and he's confirmed his yes in Jesus. How do we live in light of that? How do we say yes? What else we're going to talk about? Now kind of the general statement of how we say yes would be uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So if you want to say yes to God, you will say yes to things like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's kind of the big yes. So if you want to say yes back to God, you'll be saying yes to these fruit that are actually living out the qualities, the characteristics that Jesus lived at. How in the world are we going to continue what Jesus started if we're not living out the qualities and the attitudes that Jesus had? Now notice, as you look at that list, you can't do those things alone. Community is the context of bearing the fruit. How do you show love if nobody's around? How do you experience joy if it's just you? How do you show kindness and goodness and faithfulness all alone? The fruit are contextual and the context is community. After all, God's number one priority is people. 
Well, if God's number one priority is people, and we're going to continue what Jesus started, then the people had better be a real high priority in our lives as well, and we'll be saying yes to these fruit. There are all kinds of one another statements in the Bible, and uh, we're not going to walk through them all. Some of you are excited by that. But I do want to mention a few. Uh, I read about these and uh, a couple articles, and so I'm going to walk you through a couple of the things we need to say yes to. And you get homework with each one. So all you that sent me homework because you misunderstood the no, I want homework this week with the right yeses, all right? I'll be looking for it. I know who you are with all the no's, all right? Uh, so I want to see yes homework where you said yes to the things you need to say yes to. Well, here's the first one, first one we want to look at. Encourage one another. How are you doing at that one? Do you encourage one another or do you critique one another? Do you build up or do you build down? You see, we're at using the iPhone icon because every time you interact with someone, every time you see someone, you're either yesing or knowing them. You're either declining or accepting what God wants you to do in that person's life every time. So when you walked from your car into the auditorium, when you sat down, you were saying yes to some people even without words, and you were saying no to other people just by your facial expression, by what you were doing. How are you doing at encouraging people? Are you good at that? Um, just look at the best athletes on the best teams. So we mentioned earlier British Open's going on. The best caddies encourage the golfer, right? The best caddy doesn't say, boy, that shot was terrible. You're, you don't have your game today. How am I going to get a paycheck on this deal? No, the best caddies say, yes, great shot. We'll get him next time. Let's go. The best players on the, on the best teams, they fist pump, right? The best tennis players in doubles encourage one another. The best Major League Baseball players, not in Philly, but the best Major League players when a guy hits the home run, now there's a big celebration at home plate, right? The whole team's there to greet him. And there's fist pumping. And there's chest pumping. And there's jumping up and down and dancing. How are you doing at any of that? You know what? It's a sad deal that athletes are better at encouraging one another on their team than Christians are at encouraging one another and continuing what Jesus started. That's a pretty sad commentary. But we've got the opportunity to say yes to encouraging one another. And you know what we need? We need some fist-pumping, chest-bumping, foot-stomping encouragement. What do you think? Now, you all sit there. I saw one person. <laughs> no, we need fist-pumping, chest-bumping, foot-stomping encouragement. And we've got the opportunity to do it. And that's your homework. Your homework is to encourage somebody in your home, in your family, at your workplace, one of your neighbors, and to do it this week, and I want an email, all right? In fact, I should ask for the email from the person being encouraged just to make sure it really is encouragement, you're not tearing them down in the process. All right, encouragement, that's the first one. Uh, here's, a, here's another one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And some of you are really happy right now, and some of you are getting real nervous right now, depending on where you're sitting. But we're going to do the holy kiss in a culturally appropriate way. So don't get nervous or excited. You see, we do things culturally appropriately, not out of our context. Back in Jesus' day, you would greet someone and show your acceptance of them by kissing them. 
Not on the lips, that's gross, right? Well, sometimes. Um, kind of on the chin, and some cultures still do that, right? Some European, Eastern cultures still kiss. Sometimes one times, two times, three times, all kinds of times, right? Um, so they greet one. So here's the point. How are you at accepting one another? Do you send signals that you accept, or do you send signals that you reject? Are you accepting or declining people as you relate? Now, look, uh, I'll shoot straight with you. I'm often critiqued for being very aloof. I don't know what that is, so I don't mind that much. <laughs> but I think that what they mean is this. Charles, you don't even notice us. You know, you leave and you walk down the aisle and, well, I've got places to go, things to do, and people get in the way, right? I'm like you. Well, that's not something that should be a chuckle deal. Um, that's a serious deal. And so here's your homework assignment. When you leave your seat at Calvary Church today, from here to your ABF, from here to your car, from here to the children's wing, you cannot look at your phone. Because I know the phone is what keeps you from accepting one another, right? How do you accept people if you're walking like this, right? You're sending the signal, whoever's texting me, whatever email I'm doing, whatever Facebook post I'm looking at, whatever email I'm reading, is a whole lot more important than you. No, no, no. We need to greet one another with a holy kiss, right? In a culturally appropriate way. So your assignment, and we've got the ushers, they're on guard duty today. No phones in use between the auditorium and your destination. And no accidents on the way out of the park. I'll say, I didn't have a chance to check my email. I got to do it while I'm driving out. No, no, no. Accept one another. And you do that by looking them in the eyes. You do that by asking them an honest question and waiting for them to answer. Here we go. Oh, how you doing, Bob? It's good to see you. But, but Bob's back there trying to tell you how he is, and you're on to the next four people asking how you're doing, and you're making your way to the car. We need to stop and accept, right? Respect one another by, by giving time. You got that assignment? I want to see some yes assignment emails coming in. Uh, people looking at their phone. Oh, you're pretending you're reading the Bible when you're looking at your phone now, right? I can't use it after the service. I better look now. All right, here's the next one. Philippians 2. Not looking to your own interests but to the interest of others. All right, so here's my uh, summary. Here's your assignment. Be second. Yes, I didn't stutter. Be second, which means somebody else goes first. You're going to let somebody else go first. Here's what I discovered. Most mornings I stop at Dunkin' Donuts here in Saturn because there's no Starbucks in the area. I, I wish that one would open soon. That's what I'm saying. But here's my notice. When I'm pulling in to the Dunkin', I want to go, I, I go first. When I'm pulling out, I want to go first. Well, wouldn't it be nice if we would learn how to be second? How about the Merck? I have to go to New Jersey this afternoon. I'm already thinking of the three merges that I have to drive through and how I make sure nobody gets in front of me, right? Well, here's your homework assignment. Be second. Be second. Be second in Dunkin' Donuts. Be second in Starbucks. Be second in the merge. Don't be fifth, but be second. 
be second getting off the plane. Do you ever see this drill, right? Um, so what happens? As soon as you land and you're taxing to the gate, it begins, right? That, that you have your plan, right? You pack up everything while you can still stand. It's, sorry, it's what I do. <laughs> I pack up all my stuff, my book, my computer, pack it all up, and put it back in the overhead compartment. So now I have nothing in my hands. As we're taxiing to the thing, to the gate, waiting for the ding, right? I've got my hand on my buckle. Because somehow Kim will know if I unbuckle too soon. <laughs> the ding goes, my buckle, and I'm up, right? I'm up and I'm in the aisle getting my stuff out. If you have a window seat, you're screwed. <laughs> the window seat has nothing to do with looking outside. The window seat has to do with if you get up, you bang your head. You, what, you stand like this for 20 minutes waiting for people to go. But if you have an aisle seat, you stand up, right? And you're getting ready. And heaven forbid the person in front of you doesn't make it quick enough because you're in front of them. So here's the, if you're flying this week, be second. Let a whole row go ahead of you. After all, it's, it's, I know it's a tragedy. You may be 30 seconds late getting home, right? You may miss that assignment by 30. Is 30 seconds, what's, what are you going to do when you go home anyway? Turn on TV and sit down. Um, so be second. Be second at work. Be second in your neighborhood. Be second in your marriage. Be second in your family. You take, put someone else's interest, and we need to say this as a church as we often do, right? Put someone else's preferences ahead of yours. Well, I want this. I want that. You be second. You be second. We're good with that? All right, we're going to be second? <laughs> yeah, there are no fingers, eyebrows, nothing. It's, <laughs> Charles, we can't believe this sermon was over. All right, here's another one. Serve one another. Serve one another. Now, you have no excuse Jason gave you all kinds of opportunities. We've got a great next-gen um, program for all different ages, for children, for students, for young adults, and they need you. Serve one another. Maybe serving one another by keeping up to speed on what's happening and committing five minutes a week to pray. Maybe it's volunteering to be a chaperone or provide transportation for one event between now and Christmas. Maybe it is being a small group leader. Maybe it's volunteering to go and do something, to be a dancer, be an actor, be a volunteer. Serve one another. Many of you did that at KidFest, and we thank you for that. Well, you know, the needs kind of continue. And remember what Jason said. The biggest impact in the lives of kids, in the lives of students, and even in the lives of other adults, the biggest impact is not the big flashy event. That gets people together. The biggest impact comes as you walk together for a season, encouraging, serving, accepting, loving, being second to other people in relationship. That's where the biggest impact comes. So be one of those five in the lives of our young people. You be one of those five. And you can do that with whatever time, energy, skills you have. But I'm telling you, you're going to have to say no to something else in order to say yes to that. And let me just tell you, we don't apologize at Calvary Church for always asking you and challenging you to volunteer. We don't. And here's why. God says, serve one another. Serve one another with humility. God sent Jesus to serve us by doing for us what we couldn't do. If we're going to continue what Jesus started, we will be serving one another inside Calvary Church, and we'll be serving one another outside Calvary Church. 
Some of you are on planning commissions and zoning boards and you teach in public schools and you coach different sporting events in the community. That's great. You're serving one another with community. You should be doing that. So we don't apologize because all we're doing is saying you need to get busy living by doing what Jesus is calling you to do. Go do it. So serve one another. Oh, we got one more. Be joyful. You know, joy is contagious. Be joyful, and it'll be contagious. Now, I, I took some verses not from the New Testament here. Check this out. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, remember that event, right, from uh, 2 Samuel? The ark's being brought back into Jerusalem. And the ark was the symbolic presence of God, right? The Shekinah glory on the mercy seat was the symbolic, it's not the real literal presence of God because God's omnipresent, he's everywhere, right? But it's the symbolic presence of God. Therefore, there are lots of curtains and barriers because we're unfit for God's presence. The ark is the symbolic presence of God. Uh, as the ark's being brought into the city, Michael, David's wife, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. David is celebrating with joy. Michael is critiquing his performance from the sidelines. So here's my question. Which one of those two most resembles you? Which, which do you most resemble? You know, if the truth be told, we're critics on the sidelines more than we are dancers on the stage, aren't we? David says, I want to be full of joy celebrating, and I don't care what people think. Michael says, I can't believe, what are people going to say? My, how the king distinguished himself. To, which one do you most resemble? Which one do you want to most resemble? That's the question. How does the Bible end? Do you know? No, I'm going to show you. Don't look, I'm going to show you. Now, remember where we've been. God makes lots and lots and lots of promises in the Bible. Maybe 3,000, 7,000, 8,000, a whole bunch of promises. God makes them all. And every single one of them are yes in Jesus Christ and in his mission. It's not our effort. It's not self-help. It's not trying. All those promises are yes in Jesus. He paid for the promises on Good Friday. He guaranteed their fulfillment on Easter Sunday. And we live in between the promises being made and all the promises being fulfilled. So here's how the Apostle John concludes the Bible. He who testifies to these things. Yes, I am coming soon. That's Jesus' yes, right? There it is. All of God's promises, yes, in Jesus. Jesus said, at the end of the Bible, says, Jesus says, oh, yes. Jesus, are you coming back? Yes. Will you be back? Yes. Can we count on it? Yes. Take it to the bank, build our lives on it? Yes. I'll be back. John adds his yes. Amen. Yes. Come, Jesus. And the last sentence and word of the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Yes. That's good, huh? Yes. We don't have a no God 
that's into deprivation, we've got a yes God who's into abundance. But in order to say yes to the greater good, you got to say no to some lesser goods. And the reason we can say yes is because Jesus first said yes. And you may be living in that transition time when there's a whole bunch of no and life's kind of stinking a little bit for you. Yeah, we need to think long and hard about those promises. Jesus, are you coming back? Are you going to make all this right? Jesus, is it going to be worth following you? If I give my time and energy and money and resources to follow you, is it going to be worth it? Yes, 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 yes. Add your yes. Now we're going to stand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And we're going to sing what you may think of as a Christmas carol. We're going to sing joy to the world. Because joy was one of those assignments, right? Remember joy? And we need some fist-pumping, chest-bumping, foot-stomping joy. Because all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. He paid for them on the cross. Guarantees them on Easter Sunday. Oh, yeah. And they will all be yes when he returns. Joy to the world is not a song about Jesus' first coming. It's not really. Well, you can sing it at Christmas. It's a song about Jesus' second coming. It's about what John wrote. Yes, I'm coming soon. Yes, come Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. and let's sing.